Uh, as some of you may know, my name is Joey Ortiz. I am the student ministry director and youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church. <laughs> Apparently, it's all my youth leaders and, and kids in here today. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, but this past summer, my wife and I had the privilege and honor of celebrating 12 years of being married together. Now, for our honeymoon, we went to Maui, we went to Hawaii, right? And every year as our Facebook memories come back, we look at these photos and we're like, man, that was awesome. And we saw some amazing things, the beaches, the sand, it was beautiful, the food, don't get me started on the food, right? One of the super awesome things that we did was we actually got to go up to the top of a mountain. There's mountains in Hawaii, I don't know if you know that. And we got to watch the sun come up from above the clouds. It was amazing. It was so, so cool. The thing is, every year as these photos come up, we see them and we say the same five words. We have to go back. We have to go back. It's awesome. We look back and we long for the day that we can return. We look back at these photos and we have our memories and we long to go back to that place because it was amazing. Has that ever happened to you, church? Have you ever been somewhere and then you look back and you're like, man, I'd love to go back someday. That would be awesome. That'd be amazing. If we're honest, though, I think none of us will have that same experience that our first brother, Adam, did. See, I want you to get the picture here, right? Adam is in Eden. He is walking with God. He has absolutely no wants or needs. He has it all. And then sin enters into the world. And he is cast out of Eden to walk on earth that is cursed because of sin. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but Adam lived 930 years. That's what scripture says. So I can't believe, I can't imagine living 930 years looking back to perfection while we are stuck here on earth. And it's crazy. It's crazy to think that he had to go out and work for his food through thorns and thistles, through sickness and death. But he had that picture of perfection to look back to. Over the last few weeks, we have been diving into a series called Afterlife. We initially started about five weeks ago talking about how we have to have faith in Christ Jesus to even enter into eternity. The week after that, we talked about the intermediate heaven and the intermediate hell, what afterlife looks like now. Two weeks ago, Pastor Eddie talked about the new heavens and the new earth from the bodily glorified human perspective. Today, what we are going to do is we are gonna look at the same thing, but from the perspective of creation. See, creation has to be restored. And as we dive into our service and as we look at scripture today, we are going to answer three big questions. The first question is why? Why did God have to restore creation? What's the whole point? What's the purpose? What's the meaning behind it? 
The second question is how? How will God restore creation? And the all-important question is what it's going to be like. What will the new heaven and the new earth be like? If you have your Bibles today, I'm going to give you kind of an orientation. We're going to be spending a lot of time in Genesis and Revelation. That's easy. That's the beginning and the end. And then we're going to be spending some time in 2 Peter, okay, which is also close to the book of Revelation in the back of your Bible. But over the last few weeks, I know that it's been a marathon going back and forth trying to keep up with all the scripture we're throwing at you. Right, and if the Bible buffet that we're about to have is too much, don't worry. Open up your phone, go to gracelaredo.org, hit the messages tab, and there you will have all the Bible verses that we're going to be going through today in the order that we're going to be hopefully going through them. Unless I call an audible and kind of switch things up, but I don't think I'm going to do that. So just so you know, Genesis 3, Revelation, the last three chapters, and 2 Peter is where we're going to be spending most of our time, but you have your notes on the Grace Laredo website as well, just to make things a little bit easier for you today. So let's dive in. Let's take a look. Why does God have to restore creation? It's a three-letter word, and it's a thing that we've had to deal with our entire lives, and simply put, the answer to that is sin. If you have your Bibles with you, like we mentioned, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. This is where God tells Adam what sin has brought to creation. Genesis 3 verse 17 says this, and, Adam, uh, and to Adam God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. See, the curse of sin brought forth a whole bunch of issues to creation. There is death. There are thorns and thistles. The work went from being easy in the garden to being difficult. And without that work, we would not be able to enjoy the fruit of the land. Sin has marred creation. Sin affected creation just like sin affected us. And that's a big deal. See, for God to live up to the promises that he has made, for God to fulfill the promises that he made to his people, creation has to be restored. Sin has to be purified. Check out the promise he made in Leviticus 26, 11 through 12. He said this, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. My soul shall not hate you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my, pick, my people. Look back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were walking with God. They were in his presence. God promises to do that one day. And the amazing thing here is once sin has been cleansed, once we have been made new as people, and once earth and creation have been made new, God will dwell with us again. Second Peter says the same thing. He even says, we're waiting on it, dude. He says, we can't wait for this to happen. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're longing. We're looking back to the beauty of Eden, and we are looking forward to the restoration of creation so we can dwell with him in eternity. 
We see this picture again in the book of Acts. Acts 3, verses 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, whom heaven must hold on to until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Christ is in heaven waiting to return, and while we are waiting, we are longing for that return. And it's coming. That promise has been made. God must restore creation so he can live up to and fulfill the promises he made long ago. And the thing is, we see this picture, right? Like, we're waiting on it. We are longing for Christ to return. We are waiting for things to be made new. But it's not just us. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He makes it super clear that creation is waiting too. Creation is longing to be restored as well, just like we are. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23 say this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. More language of longing for restoration. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What's waiting? Creation. It's waiting for us to be glorified because it will be glorified and restored as well. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That's our first brother, Adam. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation. Creation is not only waiting, but we are as well. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Paul separates the two. People are waiting. People are longing. But so is creation. Creation has been affected by sin. And for God to dwell with us again, the land creation must be purified and made new. It must be restored. Which brings us to our second question. See, we know now that God has to restore creation because it is marred by sin. But how is he going to do this? And language is one of those things, as we read through Scripture, language is super important. Looking at the entire narrative of Scripture to see what God consistently tells us as to what is going to happen. This is so, so awesome. We're going to put several verses up behind us as we look at how God is going to do this. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8 say this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. When we think about that word in our language today, the word pass away means to die. It means to go away. It means to cease to be. Matthew, Jesus says this, Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. Another translation for this, right, as we look at the Greek, is it is a change of state. A world that is sinful will be made pure. It will change from one to the other. 
Let's keep looking at scripture, though, so we can get more of these details as to what God is going to do and how God is going to do it. It's been made super clear that creation will pass away. The old earth will pass away. Take a look at Psalm 102, verses 25 and 26. Of old, you, God, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You, God, will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. We see this consistency now. The current earth, the earth that we know, the heavens that we know will pass away. They will be gone. And I love this picture. He will change them like a robe. They will be replaced. And that's with the new heaven and the new earth. That is when creation will be restored. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, this is God talking through the prophet Isaiah. I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Where we are right now will pass away. It will perish. It will be gone in the blink of an eye. And what's amazing is what we read here in Isaiah, the former things we won't even want to remember because of how beautiful and amazing the new heavens and new earth will be. And we know that heaven and earth will pass away, but we don't exactly know how. We haven't read through that. We haven't gotten there yet. And so we know that they are going to be gone. We know that they will pass away. We know that they will be replaced and not come to mind. But how is God going to do that? Second Peter chapter 3 gives us the answer. Second Peter chapter 3 gives us the answer. For they deliberately, this is Peter talking to scoffers to non-believers, mentioning them, for they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that means, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Similar language. It perished. It passed away. It changed state. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. We know that earth and heaven right now are plagued by sin. We know that God, in order to fulfill his promise, must restore and make creation new. We know that earth and heaven as we know it will pass away, and we know that that will happen by fire. I love the parallel that we see here in 2 Peter. He already did it by water. He promised to never do it by water again, but in the future, when it happens, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen by fire. The world is stored up for fire. It's pretty intense, right? And as we take a look, we've been looking at this graph for the last few weeks and we have seen kind of our entire series here be on this graph. And so if we had one of those you are here stickers, it would be here at the final judgment. See, at the final judgment is when the new heavens and new earth will be brought to us. 
I love what Revelation chapter 10, or 20 says in verse 11 and 12. It says, then I saw the great white throne. That's the final judgment. And who, him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Do we see that same language? It perished. It passed away. It was gone. And there was no place found for them, those who were being judged. 2 Peter 3 talks about this too. 2 Peter 3 verses 10 through 13 say this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When it comes, it will come quickly. There will be no warnings. No person knows the day or the hour that Christ will return. Christ will return and judgment will come. And everything that's been done on earth as well as uh, us will be judged. And we, let's keep reading what it says. It says, and then the heavens and the earth will pass away with a roar. Same language. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, will be laid bare. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Picture that. Outer space set on fire. The heavenly bodies melting, dissolving, and burning. But according to his promise, we are waiting we are longing, this is the verse we read earlier, for the new heavens and the new earth which righteousness dwells. As we backtrack through the answers, the questions that we've been talking through today, we know that it will be restored. We know that it will be done through fire. And I want you to get this picture, okay? I want you to bear with me. We're in a big room, there's a lot of AC. This is probably gonna go terribly, right? So just walk through this with me. But later today, many of you guys are going to go home. You're going to go to your backyard. And if you don't have a gas grill, you're going to strike a match and light a fire. Right? We see these all the time. So follow with me as we kind of walk through this example. What we do when we get there is we go, we strike a match, we throw it into the fire, the fire starts. No big deal. We move on with our lives. We cook our food and we munch out. It's awesome. But I want you to picture this match as the earth as we know it. Picture this match as what we know today as creation. Picture the air around it as the atmospheres, the heavenly bodies that we just read about. Oxygen rich, right? We're able to know that that air is very, very, very um, set in its components and what, what it's made out of. But the second I take the earth as we know it, and the air and the atmosphere around it, the heavens around it, and I light the match, see, everything starts to change. The wood is different. It has passed away. It is not the same. It has changed. The air that is around it is no longer rich with oxygen, but it is being drawn in and changed to carbon dioxide. The earth and the heavens, that's going to be what happens to it. And in order for me to not get burned, I'm going to do that, right? So you get the picture. The match was completely different post-burning. The earth will be too. Judgment will come. Earth will be made new. Earth will be restored. Earth will be changed because it will pass away and a new one will be set in its place. I love that picture again of the garment being switched out. The earth as we know it will be burned, 
with fire and through judgment will be restored and made new. I love the picture that John gives us in Revelation where a new heaven and a new earth will come down and we will dwell there with God in eternity. Now, all along we've been talking about looking backward, looking forward, looking back to Eden as we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And what we are going to do now is answer the last question. See, we know that God has to restore creation because it's marred by sin. We know he's going to do it through fire. But we want to know what it's going to be like in eternity with him. So what we are going to do is see how this place, this new heaven and new earth, while it is something entirely new, will also be something entirely familiar. We get this picture, and what we're going to do is we're going to show you something out of Revelation and show you something out of Genesis, out of the Garden of Eden, because there are parallels there. They will be different, but they will be shadows of what were. So check it out, Revelation 21. This is the new heavens and the new earth. John is telling us what he sees as the angel is showing this to him. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. If we par parallel that to what we saw in Eden, we see the same kind of structures. We see rivers and we see the tree of life. Genesis 2, verses 8 through 10. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant for the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it was divided and became four rivers. There are some similarities that we see structure-wise to things that we would know. Eden and the new heavens and the new earth, especially big structures like the tree of life. With the exception of the fact that we are going to be seeing God and the Lamb seated on their throne. I also love the fact that we will have structures and minerals and things that we are very familiar with. Gold and precious gemstones will be there as well. The wall was built of jasper. This is Revelation 21 verses 18 and 19. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear, clear glass. And the foundation of the wall of the city was adorned with every kind of jewel. The New American Standard Bible would say with every precious gemstone. We, it talks about the different found levels of the foundation and the walls and the entirety of this city. And it is this beautiful picture of God's presence with us. I even love the fact that it says that there will be no need for sun or moon because the glory of God will light up the city. That's amazing. That's awesome. We see that in Eden as well. Eden, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 say this. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah. And there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone, those precious gemstones that are all a part of the foundation of the new heavens and the new earth are there as well. The interesting thing is, though, as we look at these different gemstones, as we look at this gold that will be there in the new heavens and the new earth and that were in the Garden of Eden, they signify the presence of God. 
They are reminders of the presence of God. They were even put on the Ark of the Covenant to remind us of that. And ultimately, just like in Eden and just like in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be in the presence of our holy and righteous God. In Revelation, we see this, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's a flashback. That's a direct quote to what he promised in the book of Leviticus. That's the promise that tells us that he must restore us and restore creation to dwell with us again. Looking back, we see God's promise coming true in the future as we look forward. He will be our God. We will be his people and he will dwell with us. And get this picture, y'all. We can't miss this church. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for all the former things have passed away. What's amazing about the new heaven and the new earth, what makes it so much better than Eden ever was, is the simple fact that God will dwell with us and have an intimate relationship with us. Just the other day, I was talking with my son. My son loves to play sports. He has all of his practices and he beats himself up sometimes. I'm not gonna lie, as a dad, there were times where I was wrong and I maybe beat him up a little bit too. And so we're having a conversation and I'm apologizing for any kind of undue pressure I put on him and immediately he starts to cry. And we were at a stoplight and I reached over and I wiped the tears away and I go, dude, I'm sorry, but I love you. And I tell my kid all the time, I tell him, it is not about what you do. I don't love you because of what you do. I love you because of who you are. And I have this intimate, loving relationship with my son. God will do the very same thing in the new heaven and the new earth. He will bend down to wipe our tears. He will be with us. He will love us. And we will rejoice with him. In Genesis, we see the same reflection of that. We see Adam and Eve dwelling in the presence of God. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What comfort do we have knowing that in the new heaven and new earth, the God of the universe will dwell with us. And we can rejoice at the marvel of his presence. It's awesome. It's amazing. Just to walk through a couple of other things, because I know I'm going to get these questions later. Yes, there will be work. There was work in the garden. There will be work in the new heavens and the new earth. We will work to feed ourselves. We will even work and do what Adam was supposed to do, which is cultivate the garden. There will be animals. Now, I don't know if that means like Fido and Spike and Figaro, like your pets. I don't know if they're going to be there. We don't have that per se, but there will be animals in the new heaven and the new earth. And as we wrap up this series, we know that we will be there with the ones that we love, that we're believers, the ones that we love, 
that have already gone into eternity ahead of us. And so as we wrap this series up, I ask you the question, so what? We've talked about heaven, we've talked about hell, we've talked about entering into eternity with God, but should that change the way that we live now? As we look forward to this day, should that change the way that we live? The apostles that we've read today, Peter and the author of Hebrews, they believe it. Paul believes it. You can see it all over their writings. But from one of the verses that we read today, I want to dive in and I want you to go back with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since we are looking forward to this day where everything will be made new, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? The author of Hebrews says this, let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit for some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Whenever you see the day capitalized, it's the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day Christ will return and seat, sit on the white throne. So let me ask you this question, church. If you know Christ is coming and it doesn't change the way that you live, do you really believe it? Are you really living the way that you're called? Because I'm going to tell you, as we sit here, we know the promises of God are true. We wait for it. We're longing for it. For the day that he will make everything new again. We're looking forward to it. But one day, there will be a day where the heavens will part and the trumpet will sound and Christ will return. And that day that we've been looking forward to will be here. And having nothing to look forward to, all we're gonna have is a life to look back on. And the question is, did you live a life that not only honored and glorified Jesus, but showed that you were eagerly awaiting his return? Because what would be the worst church would be to think that you're okay to think that you're saved and the minute that you stand before God in eternity you don't hear well done my good and faithful servant you hear depart from me you worker of evil because I never knew you and the only way the only way to enter into that into, into eternity is to have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone, because he died on the cross in your place. He lived the life that was perfect, sinless, selfless. He came and lived to serve because he knew one day he was coming back. And yet, as he was hanging on the cross, he didn't despise us. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if we've placed our faith in him, his righteousness is given to us. And we will be able to live lives that are worthy of being called his sons and daughters because our hearts will be made new. They will be changed right here, right now. 
And so I ask you, church, are you living that life? Have you had your faith placed in Christ and Christ alone? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that you have made. Lord, the promises we know that you will fulfill. And we thank you ultimately, Father, that your son Jesus came so that we could not only be adopted as sons and daughters, but so that we could be renewed and restored and live with you in eternity. Father, I pray that as we close service today, you help us to reflect on the lives that we lead, to see if we are living a life that is worthy of being called your son and daughter. If we've placed our faith in your son, Jesus, Lord, help us to reflect on that and live in that all the more as we see the day drawing near so that the world can see what it looks like to eagerly await the restoration of not only us, but of all your creation. Father, we love you. We worship you and praise you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.